0: Hi, and welcome to the LEAP podcast. LEAP stands for Leadership Education for Asian Pacifics. I'm Linda Akutagawa, your co-host. And I'm Yana,
1: your co-host for the LEAP podcast. Welcome to season three. Our theme this season is centered on identity within a leadership context and how we as Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders navigate the complexities of our worlds as leaders through the lens of identity.
0: Our hope for all of you who are listening to us is that these conversations spark new ideas and you're able to apply them in your own life. On this episode of the LEAP Podcast, our guest is Don Young. Director of Programs at the Center for Asian American Media, or CAM. Don talks about significant stories from our history that get buried and about uncovering those stories.
1: And then we get into the topic of Asian American identity and how the sharing of our stories through film influences how we and others view our community. Listen in to hear from Don about the transformative power of music and film to shape our identity development.
0: Hi, everyone who's joining us for our next episode of our Leap Podcast. Jan and I had the pleasure of welcoming and introducing our guest for today, Donald Young, who is the director of programs for the Center for Asian American Media, otherwise known as CAM. He's been responsible for build Cam's stature as the national producer of documentaries and independent feature films. He is a longtime documentary production executive and advocate for Asian American storytelling, who in 2022 executive produced the Peabody Awards nominee Rising Against Asian Hate and served as a planning member on the historic Vincent Chin 40th Remembrance and Rededication Activities in Detroit. Additionally, I want to point out that in 2020, he executive produced the fantastic part PBS series, Asian Americans. So with that, Don, I just want to say thank you for making time to join us today Mm -hmm. and welcome. We're really excited to engage in this conversation with you. It's it's definitely one that I think is very much relevant to what's happening today and so many different kinds of changes that have been happening in the world of film and media, but just in the community itself. And so I think we're going to be really in for a, a fun conversation. And Jan, I want to turn it over to you too.
1: We're so happy to have you, as Linda was saying. And this is very relevant because I just saw the documentary that we were talking about earlier, which is the Fanny documentary. Really amazing. I know you featured it during the CAM Fest. And also, mm-hmm. did you was it, is it true that they actually performed or were they there?
2: Fanny, The Right to Rock is a film that came to us through PBS that we helped to present a few weeks ago, May 2023. And so it's about this band of mixed-race Filipinas, queer, who feel as fresh a discovery. You know, like there isn't even a band like that now, let alone from 50 years ago, right? So we had heard about this film and then it came to us through PBS. And then we had the opportunity to meet the band members. And then we sort of quickly came together and tried to figure out how to create this West Coast tour, like this return to the Whiskey A Go-Go in LA, literally 50 years after they last performed there, starting at UC Riverside, going up the West Coast to the PBS Annual Meeting, and then the Whiskey A Go-Go. Then they performed at Fest in San Francisco. And then they closed out at this incredible 900-seat theater at the Crest Theater in Sacramento, where they were originally formed. Really beautiful opportunity. They were supposed to go on tour with their newest album in 2020, and it got canceled because of the pandemic. So this was in Not just an honoring of what they've done, but really was a long-awaited return tour. (laughs) That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I highly encourage everyone who's listening to watch that documentary because it's so inspiring to see these powerful women who really led the way in terms of women, female-oriented rock bands, right? 70s. And beyond, and we don't want to ever lose sight of that, you know, the impact that they've had on the music industry. So thank you for showcasing this group.
2: Working with them was like one of the honors of my career. And they Mm -hmm. would have like Bob Dylan show up in their basement and practice there sometimes. And the Go-Go's and the Bangles and all of them see them specifically as the first band that helped them to imagine what they could become right so it's an interesting thing to see an asian american band they discovered their asian american identity over time right like representation and expectations were such that they couldn't even talk about either sexual identity or gender or cultural identity because it was a dangerous thing like it would actually threaten their careers so illuminating to find out about them but they were like at the center of the musical scene not not like this back of the room band but rather actually somebody who inspired and everybody, you know, it's just history forgot them. And now they're being rediscovered appropriately. Amazing.
0: That is so amazing. And I hear what you're saying about they couldn't really bring forward as part of their career. But I mean, I'm glad that we know about them now. I wish we knew about them even earlier. Because when I think about music. And when I think about rock bands, and just how there weren't Asian Americans until I mean, in some ways, I think about the Smashing Pumpkins, and James Iha was part of the band. And then later on, of course, you know, Linkin Park, and with Mike Shinoda, and DJ Han, and, and it's just like, so cool to see. And obviously, you know, I also think about Hiroshima, which is a different kind of band, but it would have meant so much more, I think, for so many young Asian Americans growing up in the 70s and 80s to have known about that was a possibility but great to know that these are the stories that are now coming out now that we can take inspiration from and hopefully not only Maybe for my generation, but for generations that are much younger, to see the possibilities, and you're seeing that also evidenced by young bands like the Linda Lindas and some of these other young, you know, women-led rock bands that are coming out. I mean, it's just so inspiring and so needed to affirm our place in American culture as well, too. So, yeah.
2: well, and, and so. hand in hand with that, like someone like a Yoko Ono who spent most of her life in America, maybe not identifying as Asian American, was that a dangerous time is making this much more nuanced and complicated and and real. And I think people are Mm -hmm. gravitating more towards being able to claim that part of who they are. That probably wasn't really possible Mm -hmm. half a century ago.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. On that note, Don, like what makes it possible for people to reclaim who they are, you know, especially from an Asian American identity standpoint, you know, what has made it possible?
2: With social media and pandemic and the murder of George Floyd, there's been a lot of community uprisings that have really, I think, set a new foundation of articulation that has been important for Asian Americans. But I think separately, we're at a really unique window of time for our own community where there's been this horrific pandemic where violence has been unleashed. It has kind of reset in many people's minds who we are and what we want to claim but i think also created a, an opportunity of a narrative to be told by the outside communities who see us for the first time so to speak right i think there's been a lot of work recently about who's the most well-known asian american or the most famous person but i think what we yeah. would push at cam is in fact what are the individual stories of america you know like i think in some ways our goal is to make the individual be seen versus not simplified but you know there's icons and heroes yeah. and there's communities yeah. and there's you know moments of history but there's also just quite simply, the opportunity to tell human stories, which is not meant to be a cop-out, but is meant to, like, that's a strategy is if you can bring an individual story to life, you've done your work of making a people become more inhabited in people's like minds and experience, yeah. right? So Yeah, oh, that's great.
1: On that note, can you tell us a little bit about your work with Cam and what Cam does for
2: those who don't know? Cam was first founded in 1980. When a lot of Asian American organizations were starting to come of age, we were pretty well informed by the creation of Asian American studies and a lot of community leaders and activists and educators and at the time, a very sort of the first steps of a burgeoning filmmaking community. So. Mm They specifically were led, Bonnie Day was up in San Francisco, mentored all of us in film, brought together at UC Berkeley, try to get this funding that would be possible for Asian American filmmakers to receive funds to produce for PBS specifically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since then, Cam has built other programmatic strategies. We have a film festival, we do educational distribution, we, we produce and, and more and more try to do kind of community narrative, I would say community building in the context of yeah. like creating narratives, right? Um, So we do as much work with filmmakers, particularly documentarians, making their films. But I think what we're starting to see more and more is how do we become a collaborator with community and people just to unlock stories. I don't think it's literally an an over-exaggeration to suggest that what we need most now is that every Asian American be a storyteller, that the Mm -hmm. best way for us to propel our conversation is to tell stories. Like us talking about our stories is as important as the stories that get out there, the the necessity for that, right? Because we, I think one of the threads and trends in Asian Americans is it's hard for us to tell stories, right? It's hard for us to tell stories of pain and stories of prejudice and stories of A failure, right? Those are those are you know sort of uniquely. I think we're uniquely well suited to not have our stories told well because it's hard for us, right? You know, I mean, that's a. I think that's a common theme amongst our communities, right? That 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 kind of binds us.
0: Yeah, when you think about that too, think about how it connects to some of the cultural kind of. I'll say customs and values that we have. I mean, telling the painful stories is also about revisiting not only maybe the painful past, but also maybe a failure and also shame, which I think we've all experienced that many of our families at all costs try to hide and keep it inside, at least within the confines of the family, maybe, but certainly not something that's shared much more broadly but I really love what you and Tam are trying to do is to have more the stories of the individuals come out. And that gets me thinking about what you're seeing is the stories that now are increasingly being told. I mean, because you have this purview that's much broader. And is it about stories about pain? Is it a stories about the individuals? And how do you see these stories being told? And is it increasingly, are you seeing it being told by a younger generation, or is it something that's also multi-generational as well, too?
2: Well, you know, I think there's a really healthy debate starting to surface in regards to the kinds of stories audiences want to see. What's a film like Crazy Rich Asians, which was obviously already a bestseller, but that it unlocked, at least in the context of Hollywood, this business proposition you can make money off of our community. Yeah. Now, I wasn't even as, you know, I was certainly tracking at the time. And, you know, if a film can show in that context, I can make a ton of money. That's where folks who don't care about your story start to care, right? So that that was one linchpin that was significant. Then we've been starting to see these really powerful stepping stones of Minari, right? Where Mm -hmm. the Best Actress Award happens, a filmmaker, Lee Isaac Chung, wanting to tell the story. He's like, if this is the last film I'm going to make... It's going to be the story I know best. The Best Supporting Actress Award happens in the context of the height of anti-Asian hate. And then we have in between Nomadland and Chloe Mm -hmm, Zhao, and I think significantly right now with Everything Everywhere All at Once, in some ways, I think there are questions of whether that's a capstone or whether that's a starting point. Mm. And I think that's the question at hand, was that Kei Hui Kwan and Michelle Yeoh artists, you know, known in consciousness of Asian America, right? And I think that was this comeback story and recognition was really beautiful. Chuck's position, though, was mental illness and and the pain of the immigrant journey that I think dreams unfulfilled that I think Mm -hmm. we still have to wrestle with. And I think it just started to Mm -hmm. tap into that hunger to have a story told that, I mean, that's a story that everybody can relate to is that Mm -hmm. a male, a father figure who doesn't achieve his dreams, I think that's pretty pervasive in, a, yeah. in a certain, you know, any immigrant community, quite frankly, yeah. right? But mm-hmm. it's a very American story that that could be unleashed mm-hmm. in the context, which I think was, for, for Cam, I think that's the beautiful element, because I think it also unlocked a lot of stories in families of, do you relate to this? And these yeah. two mass shootings that happen parallel. So mm-hmm. I think it, it's going to be this interesting film that is critically acclaimed, financially successful, but could also unlock a lot of baggage and conversations in our community that we've just been, it's given us permission to dig into these stories that perhaps we couldn't do on our own. We
0: hope you're enjoying this episode of the Leap Podcast. Don't miss a special live episode with author Min Jin Lee on Thursday, July 20th, 2023 at our annual Leap Celebration sponsored by Target. This year's celebration theme is Finding Our Way. Please support LEAP and buy a celebration ticket today at leap.org forward slash celebration. I really resonated with what you're saying about, you know, these stories of pain and failure and difficulties that, Um, our communities have faced. And of course, you know, there's the stories that also speak to the joys and and the triumphs as well, too. But what's more important is what you're saying about focusing on the stories of individuals versus the generalizations of our communities. And as you think about those stories, because I do believe that there's, each of us have these wonderful stories and ways in which they can come out, I feel like what you're doing at Cam and what is being done by filmmakers can really help bring forward these stories. So as you look over time, what are the changes that you've seen, you know, in these stories that are being told and how are these stories being told as well too? And who are the people who are telling these stories?
2: I mean, that's such a loaded, complicated question. But it really is the question at hand right now before us, right? So I think before, there were so few opportunities for stories to be told. So it's almost as if we were kind of like debating amongst communities, which if you're going to choose one, which is the one you want, right? A superhero story or like, you know, there was a whole trend of like, You couldn't make an Asian American film until it was made off of a bestseller, which is an interesting thing, right? They weren't willing to take the risks on our stories. But I think now we're at this point where the the language, the vocabulary of storytelling in our community is shifting of like people want to see anti heroes. People want to see real stories. People want to see stories that are intersectional, mixed race stories, right? So I think people are really starting to begin to complicate and bring nuance. And I think ultimately, tell stories that they're either a part of or want to see in the world around them, right? So I think mm-hmm. there's this real but diversification mm-hmm. of stories, but I think maybe the other way to put it too is stories that are told by and for me is really mm-hmm. significant that represents my lens, and that I have the agency and the ability to claim the story I care to see is important in and of itself, right? So I think Mm -hmm. there's a shift in regards to, in the context of the pandemic and the violence, a new self-recognition. I mean, everybody has Mm -hmm. reasserted the importance of how claiming being an Asian American, certainly Mm -hmm. I think the greatest, widest net of a consciousness that has ever happened, unquestionably. And I think the next 10 years will be this incredible, rich opportunity. Nobody has a sense of exactly where this is going to land, right? We are kind Mm -hmm. of brokering amongst ourselves and with media landscape of incredible amount of volume of material. You hear the stories of back in the 70s of the the famous stories where Asian Americans would huddle together if they saw the one side character on MASH. Because the odds of seeing that (laughs) character, very high because there were and there was nothing else to do other than listen to the radio right or go out to the movie theater but now it's been turned where i think social media and identity so much where the more unique your story is there's more opportunities to brand it and pitch it and sell it in a different way Mm -hmm. and i think that's a beautiful thing for asian americans that that Mm -hmm. the uniqueness of the experience is almost what's going to like lift a story above The general kind of mainstream discourse right i think so but how we sort of whatever build the infrastructure for the unique stories to be told i think that's what we at cam are attempting to wrap our heads around is how do you attempt to uplift and discover those stories like fanny that you go like wow Mm -hmm. i mean that their story is amazing but you know what's kind of more astounding is that their story had been buried yeah. Like like if if a story that beautiful has been buried so long, yeah. there's so much more to unearth, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's sort of like the puzzle and the challenge at hand is how do we try to make this where as much of this can get float to the surface so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. So
0: when we were talking talked about, you know, crazy rich Asians and everything everywhere all at once and the stories that they also represent, I mean, it's almost a watershed in such a short amount of time.
2: Oh, absolutely. A, a total watershed, unexpected. The success of the last five years, it's not at all an, an attempt to finish what foundations different, you know, pioneers had achieved. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody could have anticipated there would be a best director, best picture, mm-hmm. superhero. Um, And the future is even brighter. I mean, there's a film coming out by the studio that supported Minari and everything, every once. past lives, which is, you know, a film that I think is really going to resonate. That's this beautiful story about these two kids growing up in Korea, childhood loves who get separated because one family leaves to Korea. They rediscover each other decades after. And I haven't seen the film yet, but I've been tracking it of just Mm -hmm. this beautiful uniquely Asian-American story. I think it's fair yeah. to say clearly there's some kind of turning where th- this Asian-American story can now become a way to this love this you know it's it's probably a love letter to a life that you might you could have lived but you're not going to live yet. That is unimaginable in the discourses of identity because this mm-hmm. filmmaker and this this writer just has to live it in order to imagine it, right? So there's something about mm-hmm. that that of now it's an imagined Asian American life versus, you know, a recovery of history or Mm -hmm. a symbolic, like superhero destroying racists, right? So there's, (laughs) there's different ways in that are all have their value, right? But I think the past lives, the smallest story could resonate really far. Just my understanding, it's based on the true story of what the writer, the filmmaker experienced personally.
0: Yeah. And I think about that particular, I, I've been tracking that one too, because I'm, I'm looking forward to when it, it's going to be available, you know, for general viewing. And I mean, to your point, I mean, it's actually almost a story that almost anybody anywhere could actually resonate with. I mean, how, how regardless of you don't have to move, you know, from one country to another, I'm sure, you know, people from one state to another have probably experienced those and, and think about the what ifs. And, you know, I think from an identity perspective too, it, it really speaks to or at least I feel like it could speak to just who would I be this and that. And I also think about another film that you were, you you screened at, at Camp too, Joyride. And I think I just want to put a shout out for that one too, because I know it's going to be releasing, I think it's July 7th. And I will say that what I loved about that one is really hella funny, but it is done in such a way that you could never, ever, I think, imagine Asian American women being presented. And I think that's what I enjoyed about it the most. It was just, I mean, you know, from an identity perspective, I think Asian American women and even those who identify as non-binary are presented in such a, you know, I I would call a stereotypical way that Mm. it just kind of, to me, just really presents a
2: different kind of perspective. And staking a claim, right? It's a very forceful mm-hmm. staking of a claim that we have a story to tell, and we're going to tell it exactly as we want to, yeah. irreverently and with attitude and with joy, right? So it, it's really, I'm going to imagine that the behind the scenes and the symbolic part of it and the the building of community and industry is going to be as important as how well the film does itself, right? There's a lot of burden of responsibility, but a lot of opportunity. And I think it's a fairly incredible, exciting time.
1: Don, what, what are your thoughts about just this shifting of the Asian American identity as a result of some of these films that are in mainstream, you know, entertainment and Hollywood, and also through the important organizations like CAM? Like, how does our Asian American identity shift, if at all, because of the various representations that we see now?
2: Yeah, I think it's shifting a lot. I'm personally curious of where it's going to land in 15 or 20 years Will it still will there be an Asian American identity or how will mm. it be parsed out? Mm. I think there are a lot of different communities that East Asian, South Asian, Southeast Asian is are, is everybody going to want to be under one umbrella? It's not as if anybody has, but I think there's been a recognition of the value and importance of seeing as Asian Americans. I'm really curious about how the vocabulary and definitions will shift over time. I think there's an, also an ongoing debate about what are the kinds of stories, right? In the context of CAM, we're very proud of it, but we are seen as like, what, what did I hear a word the other day? You know, like didactic. There's, there's, there's stories mm. that are didactic, right? That are purposeful in terms of pushing forward discourse and conversation. And then people kind of, you know, we amongst ourselves, the only jokes we can make is, oh, eventually we're going to have a film that people will laugh at. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our mm-hmm. films are, you know, I mean, they're about recovering difficult histories and being seen yeah. and, yeah. and you know, and, right. and I think, you know, I guess there could be some really great comedies on early Asian American immigration, but they also live mm. really tough lives. Right. So, yeah. And I think that's for future creative generations to really to play with. Right. But I believe that the next 10 years will be the, the fundamental shift in what's what's either possible or what's not possible in terms of this broad identity. You know, and it's important to remember mm. that in the context of Asian America, possibly the most diverse community on earth that has, like, is there another community with so many groups kind of seen mm. in one way anywhere in, mm. in the world? I've heard people say that and haven't heard of anything that would counter that, quite frankly. Right.
1: Mm. Yeah. We have a philosophical question for you <laughs> it's about how you and your work shape or shift the identity of Asian Americans. Meaning, are you actively shifting the identity through your work? Or do you feel like you're more of an observer through your perspective as a filmmaker?
2: Yeah, we wrestle with that question a lot. You know, first of all, we work with filmmakers. So it's like it's the filmmakers who who have like the heavier lift in terms of really like discovering and revealing the films it's pretty common that a lot of the films and the issues that the filmmakers are trying to dig into over time become like absorbed into future narratives right that's a a lot of the work of like films on like yuri kochiyama grace lee boggs right all of those Mm -hmm. like you really need a specific storyteller to kind of like really obsess and champion on those narratives before they become more widely accepted and and, and integrated, right? Yeah. But then other times we just got to sit back and and try to bring some of our own perspective and logic to to all this, right? Some of the stories we can't quite figure out, and we've not been able to tell as well as intersectional stories, and that's not mm. you know because they don't convenient. You know there aren't filmmakers who tell those stories like they tell the story that that they experience, but there isn't like yeah. a filmmaker who totally s- tells. Asian-American mixed race stories, right? They might tell their family's story or or a Korean adoptee story, but artists telling really some of the pressing issues that are taking place, right? So that's the harder one is how do we start to explore ones that are beyond like community identities or again, bring personal nuance to the stories. That's a hard one to wrestle with right now.
0: Why do you think that is?
2: I think because it's sort of the next stage of it. Well, it's partially because of the expectations of the stories we should be telling. I think it's also us being able to imagine, you know, if we're only at that, as we started part of this conversation of this question of like, we, you know, there's stories we don't like to tell, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll, yeah. you know, so part of what motivates me is, you know, when I studied Asian American studies, I was, Really, I think motivated to uncover like what my own family went through and my grandfather mm-hmm. going through Angel Island. And I, you know, I, I was really at that time 19, 20 years old, mm-hmm. really already converted to wanting to discover that story. But I'll always remember when I told him that this is a history, you know, my way of paying respect to how he lived and what he stood for was to try to tell that story again. But when I indicated to him I wanted to tell that story, he was, it was clear at the time, that it almost triggered him in a way that he didn't want to talk about it, right? So the purposefulness that I found in in all the respect that I had towards what he did and and who he represented, but also always very keenly astute, remembering the pain of him just having Mm -hmm. to recollect that, that's always been, Mm -hmm. I think, in some ways, what I'm attempting to undo. (laughs) Why should such a painful thing that he had no responsibility for, Mm -hmm. in fact, was a victim of just sort of attempting to understand that better has always been important to me. Right. So, mm-hmm.
1: I'm just thinking about so all, for all that generation who suffered so much as a result of like, you know, war torn countries, you know, that particular generation, like, how do you retain their stories or unlock their stories without them experiencing that trauma?
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's where the interplay between media, right? So like radio and podcasts and reading and Mm -hmm. memoirs and narratives and Mm -hmm. and such. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories around the show Pachinko, right? Where people are like, on the Mm -hmm. one hand, like I, I mean, that's a really hard show to watch in regards to the pains and the, and the traumas that the individual suffer. Mm. I, I've heard people recollect like, oh, well, our, our family story was much worse than what happened in Pacheco. Mm. But the point being that they're starting to talk about it and they can claim yeah. it. And, that, and that's a, a narrative that not only is meaningful to them, but I think seeing that others kind of confirm that their story needs to be told and learned from. In many ways, the family, all of us having conversations in our families in ways that we haven't before mm-hmm. that's going to unlock so many more stories mm-hmm. than any hollywood su- success could right
0: you just said just sounds so exciting i mean just the thought of all these you know so many more other stories and the nuances and and the stories that are still not yet being told i mean that also sounds so exciting to me too in terms of you know what you're sharing about the kind of intersectional stories and the stories of you know multiple parts of of a very very diverse asian american community, I think just sounds really exciting and looking forward to that. So I'll just also maybe just share, I mean, I'd be curious, uh, TV shows, right? I mean, American Born Chinese is now on Disney Plus. And interestingly, I don't know about you, Jan, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it, but I will say that the first episode, I was excited to watch it, but I, I will say that the first episode after having watched it, there were moments where I just felt like I don't know, triggered maybe is the word, because it brought me Mm -hmm. back to a time in high school where I'm just like, oh gosh, I never wanted to go back to that time ever again. But yet it really brought some of those kind of, you know, being young and in school and, you know, kids cannot be, you know, always so nice and yet also fun to see how it's evolving. I haven't gotten through the whole entire, you know, season Mm -hmm. of it, but I just think back to that first episode especially and just kind of curious about maybe the revisiting of some of that to be able to get to a place beyond Donna and and I'd be curious, you know, from your perspective, you know, how you see the role of whether it's TV or even films like that helping to heal a community too.
2: Well it's really important, right? And I think, you know, at least from my lens and from Cam also, in some ways Gene himself, the writer, was like the like archetype Asian American boy, right? Like questioning all, you know reading comic books and trying to process this and what was internal versus what was public was unclear, right? And I think his articulation and as well as his journey of being able to be that, even at the time where a lot of boys growing up reading comics and not knowing their place, right? So I think that Mm -hmm. journey is pretty amazing and fabulous, you know, and he's always acknowledged that the privilege he has of being able to tell the story that he knows best, but that becomes a very relatable, not, not vehicle, but, you know, like way in which mm-hmm. others can, it's, you know, his story is a story that's immensely relatable. You know, in some mm-hmm. ways, it's hard to believe that there's an American nerd boy who's trying to figure his way out. Like, that's a pretty common <laughs> Asian American story, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, <laughs> but it took someone like him kind of presenting in a way with his own perspective to make it so obvious now, right? But it's, you know, a common Misfit youth finding his coming of age story that that was unimaginable for Asian Americans before, but now is becoming more commonplace, which is is great.
1: Don, is there a story that you want to see that hasn't been told yet?
2: We get asked that a lot. I think we're Mm -hmm. we're really at Cam trying to be in this listening phase. I think we're trying to figure out how we can attempt to unlock this. I mean, this Project Fanny we keep citing just because it is. It's wild to discover something that's not even like you don't even see now, let alone 50 years ago. Right. So I think we're trying to see that. I think we're also wanting to find stories like it's not just intersectional, but like the the lived experience. Communities Mm -hmm. live together in a way that are never reflected in media. Right. Like the intersections Mm -hmm. of stories and and neighborhoods that, you know, I mean, we've talked, everybody's talked about like, why can't there yet be a great Vietnamese? so like there's got to be something there Mm. that can be a great sitcom or recurring drama (laughs) right or you know filipino nurses right there's ways in which these common reference points become like these microcosm galaxies that are endlessly Mm. fascinating right i i think that would be something that would be where, where the community is just a way into uh you know like you see like the show on who I've been watching The Bear, which is if you haven't seen, it, mm-hmm. is yeah, this great way of like one person's dramatic entry point becomes this device to just look at your world in a different way, right? Like that could be mm-hmm. anybody's story, quite frankly, right
0: yeah, absolutely. you know we've been talking about just you know how the changes that you're seeing in filmmaking and TV and media, you know, how it is shifting and. I want to ask you to think about how are these shifts impacting how Asian Americans are being seen as leaders? Do you feel that these changes and the expansion of these stories, are they shifting how people see the Asian American community? And is it for the better or is it kind of neutral or
2: it's still yet to be seen? Oh, I think it's certainly still yet to be seen. Right. So (laughs) I think whether I think, I think a pretty pervasive Asian American story is underdog story. I mean, underdog story is a great story. Mm -hmm. Right. But do underdogs become leaders? We haven't quite seen that journey Mm -hmm. from underdog to leader, fallen leaders. Right. It's certainly another kind of whatever anti hero Mm -hmm. or, or other part of the arc. I don't think we've seen that yet. Right. So. I mean, even in the context of documentaries, like when we see, I think we, 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 you know, we saw a film on Michelle Wu, but it's interesting the way this particular film was, was presented is that her success, her, her victory is seen in the context of black, white grievances in the city of Boston. Right. And is that a fully accurate representation of the story? I mean, that's how the news reports it, let alone what is the, you know, but, but there's a different, there's different lenses for that. Right. Like. It's true to an extent, but it's also an underdog success story, right? And it's also an Asian American woman becoming the highest-ranking public, uh, publicly elected official in a major American city, right? So there's the same story can also have a different ends, but who who is telling that story and what they're looking for really varies, right? So even in that mm-hmm. one example of a real life story, she's seen as the beneficiary of mm-hmm. other battles, versus mm-hmm. how many of us have asked the question: How did she construct? a successful mayoral campaign. Like, I don't think I've seen actually that question pose of like, what does she do to pull this off? Right. Because it mm-hmm. is perspective and the questions that, that the storytellers are asking. Right.
0: So if you were to just look at the, you know, just like the body of all the, the kind of work that's out there now, do you think that it's shifting or, or it's it's doing something at the very least to paint the American community maybe in a more three-dimensional way that goes beyond just the the kind of the stereotypes and the perceptions and maybe this, you know, idea that we're, we're the model minority? Or do you still see that it maybe is not quite
2: there yet? But it's very possible, right? So mm-hmm. I think like there's all these alternate, you know, there was a time in the 90s where a lot of Asian American culture was being created with edgy independent films and You know, I think zines, you know, giant robot, like a lot of zines and like kind of, I wouldn't say anti-model minority content, but you know what I mean? It was really a very different kind of punk, uh, like aesthetic lens was emerging in the 90s that I think is going to resurface now, where Mm. I, I just feel like a lot of the youth, younger stories are a lot of unimagined stories are about to be told. Like I don't even think we know what stories exist yet. That's right. True. So there's there's this next generation that's growing up. Even with my daughter, who's about to turn 15, I we've shown her, you know, we do we try to I do try to do the good cam work with her and I show her some films of the past. <laughs> and when she sees sees a lot of the Hollywood stereotypical films, the yellowfish. There's no pain involved with them. She's like, they're such Mm. oversimplified ridiculing Mm. stereotypes. Don't, you know, she was almost like saying, like, why would anybody allow them to be hurt by something so ridiculous and stupid? Mm. (laughs) And that kind of caught me off guard because those were sort of the (laughs) markers of like, of like how you like, aren't you offended by that? And she's like, I'm not offended by something that's so obviously like yeah. idiotic right and there's a there's a power to her positioning that i i personally you know like oh, wow. i had to sort of suck it up and go all these years i i cut like i've gotta <laughs> i've gotta evolve <laughs> so, so i think but i think when you're starting from that position and the stories you want to tell that matter to you are going to be i mean i do believe in are going to be greatly elevated and you know we won't always agree with them. Sometimes there is something beautiful mm-hmm. to a message underdog story. That's pretty simple. Like there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that, right? Like a mm-hmm. like a hidden figures. It's pretty clear what the agenda mm-hmm. they're trying to tell. And there's something great about that, right? But yeah, but some people want something more nuanced and more where you don't feel like like medicine sometimes, right? So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that's okay too.
1: Small confession: I, am- I love underdog stories.
2: <laughs> I love them too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Feel good underdog stories. I love them.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think a lot of a lot of folks are so, you know, there was always like the Fu Manchu and the Arch enemy, but I think there's a gravitating towards like, can we become anti-heroes, but in a way that's not so one-dimensional. That's like, you know, like what is the Loki story, right? Marvel. You know, like can mm-hmm. you be somebody who's mm-hmm. kind of bad but kind of good? I think mm-hmm. you know, that there's a there's an emerge there's a surfacing of these Sort of like you don't have to be so well done up and like the super achiever to be yeah, the main yeah. protagonist, right?
1: You reminded me of the movie Gook with Justin Chan. I mean, that's an example mm. of he's not, he's totally flawed. The character's flawed, but yet he's an underdog. By he's trying. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 That kind of stuff I love.
2: <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think that was slightly motivated by his father's experience at the story mm-hmm. In LA, yeah. and liquor store, on yeah. there, right? So it's it's all yeah. Um, yeah, that
0: I'm thinking about his other movie, Blue Bayou, too. In and, and the sense of that was a pretty nuanced story, and so mm-hmm. at the same time, you were rooting for him, but at the same time, there was this, you know, depending on what your perspective is, is just the sense of him starting over again, but having to start over somewhere else. Probably complicated feelings for so many people. You know Someone who turned around his life in that movie. And I think that was pretty interesting there too. I will also make my small confession. I would say I'm not a fan of Loki. I, I did enjoy it, but I think I'm more a fan of the the kind of the Mandalorian type of character where you have, if we're going to be on the Star Wars theme, I will say on the, the Disney themes. I think in some ways, right. I mean, you know, here's someone who's a bounty hunter, but yet, you know, just has enough warmth and and humanity to to save and adopt this young child, right? <laughs> the baby Yoda now known as Grogu. So yeah,
2: the cutest thing in the universe. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, that's right. You know, this this very tough kind of person and yet now adopted.
1: <laughs> this, this, so funny.
0: So yeah, and just
1: kind learning, of showing it. this whole other side of you, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> this whole other side of you. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's not the goal of this, but we're <laughs> unlo- again lo- unlocking new storytelling.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you know that's what what I think that's what these stories also bring about, right? I mean, it, it does bring about these emotions and I think helps us to perhaps explore these parts of all of us as well, too. And, you know, and I, and I guess maybe staying on the leadership theme as well, too, I think as we discover these new stories, adding to the kind of possibilities of styles and personas mm-hmm. that we can be at least that reflect, whether it's characters or people, and what we bring to society
2: and the world. At CAM, we're trying to encourage that not only that, what are the Asian American stories you're you're trying to discover? We're trying to discover, right? So Mm -hmm. like, I think for so long, the best way forward was to champion the perspective you know best, right? And it's Mm -hmm. almost like we would fight amongst one another, like superheroes is not exactly where we want to go or broken characters. But I think how can we as a community begin to fortify a strategy with not not being like so whatever one-dimensional or aspirational that like every story matters i think Mm -hmm. the number of opportunities need to improve but i think the nuance and again the distinguishing of different stories Mm -hmm. is critical right there has been a risk after crazy rich asians that people are looking for the same you know a similar kind of east asian success Right, you know, uh, access to world of privilege that I think is (laughs) very complicated in the context of our story.
0: You know, uh, and speaking of opportunities, Don, I want to just ask, I mean, we're, we're curious about this because, you know, you have different platforms like Um, YouTube. And of course, you know, TikTok is really big now. And then there's also all these streaming services, whether it's Netflix or, or Amazon and Disney Plus and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see that it has one, democratized access to content? And secondly, is it about creating more opportunities or do they create barriers for Asian Americans as directors, writers, and producers?
2: You know, I think, for example, with Wang Fu, that there's no question how significant they were in terms of like building, telling stories through a new platform, right? They were really sort of one of the early innovators who not only took advantage of a new platform, but importantly could show from a, you know, what at the time was viewed as a pretty niche kind of community perspective. If you look backwards in terms of what they were tapping into, like it makes total sense where we are now, right? They were really early explorers, so to speak. What they gravitated towards, the, the, the demographics and the stories, I think have become somewhat of, of a blueprint. What, what I often say in the context of of innovators was if you look at, there's a one executive who left Netflix, Lisa Nishimura. She was head of two areas, documentary and comedy. And if you look at who she really championed, discovered in regards to Ali Wong, Aziz Ansari, a lot of, I mean, really, I mean, you know, the idea of comedy around Asian Americans became an entry point of talent that was, I think, also unexpected, right? But they, if you look at the Americans who went through Netflix in particular, that had fairly tectonic kind of impact in a wider adoption of our stories and a familiarity of it's okay to, you know, sometimes it's a good, you know, laughing at us is a good starting point to deepening what we're about, right? So, that, I think those two were really significant kinds of markers of of progress, really. That's pretty cool, and then- yeah, yeah. I don't feel like enough has been talked about of the standups on Netflix because I think there's probably around eight or ten of them who have all gone on to be really kinds of significant media presence after, right? And you know, really recording their shows. Yeah. Single shows, and all of a sudden, it becomes you know they're adopted voices. You know, we all crack their jokes after they crack them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up. I mean, I never thought about that influence and the impact of from a comedy point of view. I mean, I think right now, I think Jimmy Yang, I, I see him mm-hmm. uh, or or his stand up show on there, particularly, I see being pushed.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: what are your thoughts on the current WG Writers Guild Association strike? Does it impact what you're doing at CAM?
2: Yeah, the the strike is really important and significant. It's clear and we are not as directly impacted. I mean, certainly some of our documentaries and smaller projects are Writers Guild, but I think it its impact on creatives of color is really significant, right? I think there are the debates around artificial intelligence, AI, which mm-hmm. I, which are certainly merited. You know, I think in the context of creatives, writers are just so horrifically exploited that that always has been. And I expect it will, even though the circumstances should will get better, will still continue pretty vociferously. You know, there's a lot of debate amongst communities of color. When, women creatives, there's sort of this concern that a lot of deals of progress with BIPOC production companies are are not going to happen any longer. Mm And I think as the economy has started to suffer and, you know, the debt ceiling and inflation and everything, you know, there's, there's concern that surreptitiously the move back to the middle or to easy formulas has Mm -hmm. happened. Right. And is that indeed the case? So, so is this, in fact, the time parallel to the writer's guild to fully challenge that, that the commitment to progress and change, that battle has to continue. There are pretty deep concerns that conveniently writers of color and women are are losing deals because of this moment. And I think that that's a question that has to be posed of like how many, who's losing deals now, who's going to get Mm -hmm. new deals and how is this going to play out in terms of progress versus a return to formulas, I guess. Yeah.
0: I guess on that note, and maybe starting to uh, just to start wrapping this up, you know, for those who are listening, what are some things that anyone can do? You know, starting to share our stories, whether it's in writing, it's verbally orally to others. Is it about supporting films? What are some of the kind of actions that as a community, we, we can start to take as leaders who might be listening? You know, what are some of the things leaders can be doing to help change the trajectory
2: I think leaders just getting comfortable sharing their stories and encouraging that story, you know, curiosity about somebody else's story, right? I think mm-hmm. I, I feel personally around some of the violence starting to take place in 2020, i always remember somebody non-Asian American asked me how I was doing in the context of mm-hmm. the violence. I never imagined like somebody would ask me how I'm doing quite simply, right? I just remember this almost out of body experience that like, I didn't have permission for it. I wasn't expecting it, and, you know. And frankly, that there wasn't that interest or concern. I think ever since that moment, for myself and we at Cam, really try to pretty forcefully just try to like think through. I think to your point, to your question, Linda, like how, what are the mechanisms that we can do? Right. I believe that the intergenerational family stories are really going to. If I'm going to identify anything that's going to unlock this, that's <laughs> it. Right. Is this. If you can talk amongst yourselves, and well, it's often the case the story that gets the story within a family that a story didn't that a family didn't want to tell, or that or that, a, or that a family always tells, right? Like you know, so it's both ways of like the stories that bind us and the stories that we've been hiding from tend to be <laughs> the ones that others will that will re- resonate for others. So I think I think a lot of it is just trying to create a space in community that like. It does two things. It it becomes therapy, you Mm
0: -hmm. know, which
2: I think is an important part of what community needs right now, but it also becomes just kind of just active discovery, right? There's just something really sort of, I think, beautiful about this moment where like you could do therapy and research at the same time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that too. And it's something so easy that anyone can do too. Or maybe I shouldn't say easy. It may be easier said than done, but it's something that is possible for anybody to do too.
1: We have it in us, just naturally. We have it in us, right? To listen and ask questions and yeah. connect, yeah,
0: and be curious. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, and 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 also, if we can model as a community the, the interest in one another, then you know, I think mm-hmm. that also tends to like pay it forward in a way. Mm-hmm. But if we're only fighting on behalf of the story that that represent if i'm only fighting on behalf of the story that represents my story if i don't care about somebody else's story why should somebody care about my story Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. wow don thank you so much that was this was such a fantastic conversation and what you just said was so so important and great way to end this discussion and this conversation all of us being willing to share our stories but more importantly all of us also being interested in other people's stories and finding the commonalities the humanity is mm-hmm. critical i think in terms of you know just our continued evolution as a as a society too i th- thank you for for this and your time and for sharing your perspectives thank you don
2: Yeah. Thank you both. This has been an honor and a pleasure and it'll stay with me. I mean, it's like what we're all thinking about. So the opportunity to really talk about this and process it is really, it's really, it's really powerful. So thank you.
1: Linda, I really enjoyed that conversation with Don. I learned so much.
0: It was awesome. It was a great conversation. I'm so glad that we had him on.
1: Me too. I'm taking away so many things from that conversation. One thing in particular, when we asked about how the Asian American identity might shift over the next 10 to 15 years, what I found fascinating is that he said, you know, our stories are still being written, so it could look very different. You know, we can look very different. Our identities can be very different 10, 15 years from now.
0: Yeah. And that was really interesting. He said that in I really liked how he gave a call to action as a result. He said, share our stories, especially those intergenerational stories. He also said, you know, it's important that in addition to sharing our stories, we have to also be willing to hear other people's stories too.
1: This conversation is so critical because seeing our stories that are for us and by us on film can acknowledge our identities and
0: affirm our sense of belonging. It was great to be able to be reminded of that. And I'm glad that we're going to get this chance to share it with our listeners too. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining Jan and I for this season three episode of the Leap podcast. Stay connected with Leap by joining Leap's mailing list at leap.org and follow us on Leap's social media on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: And if you really enjoyed this podcast, please donate to Leap. Thank you all for tuning in today. We look forward to being with you next time.